0: Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. And the series is based on the word priceless. And, and the reason that came to mind was there's so much that goes on during the holiday season that's uh, family-oriented. Oh, by the way, before I get in that, I also forgot one very important thing. When you walked in, you got a little um, packet of stuff. And there's a letter from Pastor Rick regarding um, our Christmas Eve benevolence offering. I would... I would Get kicked if I didn't say this. So there's a little note from him that tells what our um, um, benevolence offering has done all through the year, the counseling services it's provided, the people it's, it's been able to, to um, assist. And then there's an envelope every year at Christmas Eve. The Christmas Eve offering goes to Benevolence, and that uh, amount that year helps carry us through the year. I know people give through the year to that fund as well, but that's the largest amount that comes in. So we, we ask you to take this home. Um, you don't have to give it today, but just pray about it. Um, talk to the Lord, see what the God would have you do. And then Christmas Eve, you can bring that in. If you're not going to be here Christmas Eve, you can always drop it off next Sunday or um, to the office during the week. And anything collected before the end of the year will go toward that fund. Okay, now back to the sermon. Um, in 1997, MasterCard launched an award winning ad campaign that ran in 98 countries. It, it moved MasterCard from being just a, an average known credit card company to world renown. And it was all because of a campaign based on this word, priceless. It, the very first commercial was a dad talking to a son. At a baseball game, now, the boy would order a hot dog, and they'd flash up there how much the hot dog cost, and all the different things that he had purchased. But all through the, the game, he and his dad shared some uh, memorable conversation. And of all the things they experienced that day at the baseball game, it wasn't the drink and it wasn't the hot dog that was most important. It was that interaction between a father and his son. And the last word of that commercial was, "It's priceless." Some things money can't buy. And then they go on and say, for everything else, there's MasterCard. But but there are some things that money can't buy. There are some things that you really wish you could have, but no amount of money would ever be able to purchase it for you. You can't put it on your Christmas list because nobody knows where to find it or how to get it for you. And we're going to look at those things this week, next week, and Christmas Eve. And the thing we want to look at today is this truth, that you are priceless, Maybe you're fortunate enough to grow up in a family where your mom and dad communicated that to you, where they maybe cupped your your face in their hands and said, you know, you are so precious, you are priceless, there's no one just like you. Some Some of you had that experience, but I would say there's a lot of you that didn't have that experience, that you grew up trying to find your worth and value. You've grown up learning that maybe how you look, how you perform, really determines how valuable you are. I remember going through school, classmates relentlessly teasing certain children based on physical features, too tall or too short or too fat or too skinny. Maybe it's the hair, the ears, the eyes, the nose. You get, you get very self-conscious. So as you grow up, you start looking in the mirror and trying to fix all those things and minimize the differences. so You can look like everybody else because everybody wants to be liked. But when you transition into the adult years, I, I think it shifts from your appearance to your accomplishments how do, I, how do I stack among the peers around me? And, and how is that displayed in the things that I own, the things I drive, the things I wear? Have I arrived? Have I made it? Am I worthwhile? And some of us spend the rest of our years trying to prove ourselves. Now, here's the truth about our identity. We will behave in ways that are consistent with who we think we are. If you feel like you're an ugly person, you'll probably dress in a homely way. If you think you're unworthy of love, you'll give yourself away to anybody. If you feel like a loser or a failure, I can pretty much promise you, you're going to act in ways that will guarantee you're a loser and a failure. We act in ways that are consistent with who we think we are. I was talking with someone the other day about um, a business that he works in. And a year ago, he was like the darling in his field. Everyone wanted to know what he was doing. Everyone wanted to you know, write about him in their newsletters. Everyone was very enamored. They'd come and visit what he was doing, but it's a year later, and he texted me the other day and says, well, he's off the radar now. They've moved on to somebody else. He's still doing what he did before. It's just not as big of a deal anymore. Those in Hollywood know life is like that. Fame lasts for a season, and then it's gone. You're not famous anymore. And the danger is, if you determine your value based on what other people say, how other people feel, then it's going to shift radically. I want to tell you, your value is not determined by what you think or by what anyone else says, but by one person, and that is your God. Your value is determined by your God. He is the voice you need to listen to. And if you're a student, I really want you to pay attention to this, because there's five words I want to ingrain in you that, that help to determine this identity inside. And these are the words. I am because he is. I am because he is. And we're going to unpack that during this message. But my identity is grounded in what God thinks about me. And what God thinks about me is displayed in how God acts toward me. And whenever we stray from that foundation, we begin to lose our identity. People say, I'm going to go try to find myself. Well, really, the way you find yourself is to look to God. That's how you find out who you really are. We're going to look at a psalm, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139, to look at David, David, a man after God's own heart, a man who found his identity in God. So before we read this passage, we're going to break it up into three sections. I want to pray, and I would ask that you open your heart to hear, because maybe some of you are struggling with that issue. It doesn't matter what age you are. You need to be reminded that in God's eyes, you are priceless. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the Scripture. We thank you for what the Bible says about us. And we pray, Father, that we would lean on that truth, that we truly are because, because of who you are. And, Father, help us when we leave this place to hold our heads high, to see ourselves in a fresh way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, who is God? Well, God is creator, and because he is creator, I am designed. I'm not an accident. I'm not just something that nature spewed out upon this planet. I am designed by a creator. In Psalm 139, I'm actually going to start in verse 13. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like a master potter, you have been formed from the very moment of conception inside your mother's womb. Shaped and, 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 and hewn by the hands of God. He says you were, you were wonderfully made, miraculously made. God did that inside of you. Now, I've marveled at guys, and I'm not one of those, but guys that get an old vehicle. You know, they get an old vehicle, and, and they say, I'm going to restore that old rusty thing. And so they get it all sanded down, and they, they get the body looking really pretty. But more importantly, they take all the innards out, all the stuff that's inside, and they begin to rebuild it. And they buy some old original parts or some modified parts, and they begin to piece this whole thing back together. And in, what I don't understand about cars, is, I'm not a mechanic, is You've got to get all these systems perfectly working together, the electrical and, and the fuel line and the coolant line and the lubrication with the oil. All those things have to work perfectly. And once they are, man, that thing can, can move this, this, you know, 1,000-pound uh, mass of metal down a highway at, at fast speeds. Now, that's an amazing thing to align all of those pieces and parts together to make that machine move. But when you look at the human body, It is a hundred times, if not thousands of times more complicated than a car. And yet God says, I I, I put all of those systems together. I put them all together so they work perfectly. The human body has 11 systems perfectly synchronized, all driven by a master control center, a little three-pound mass of material called the brain. And that brain has 100 billion nerve cells each with up to 10,000 connections to other neurons. The eye, which has these things called rods and cones, has 100 million receptor cells that then take the information, everything that it sees, processes it, sends it to the brain, and the brain interacts with it. The brain is the most sophisticated machine man's ever encountered. you think of your your skin, one square inch of skin has 625 sweat glands and 19,000 sensory cells. It maintains... Of steady body temperature of 98.6 degrees. The stomach produces the right amounts of juices to convert food into energy without destroying the lining of your stomach. You have 200 plus bones, 500 plus muscles. Some of those muscles are controlled willfully. You know, just flex. But gratefully, some of those are controlled unconsciously. All through the night last night, your heart was working faithfully. Pounding, sending blood. That heart beats 103,000 times a day, pushing life giving oxygen, blood rich, or rich blood through a network of arteries and capillaries, veins 168 million miles long. Last week, Pastor Sam said, Think small in 2015. Well, when you think small, down to the cell within the human body, every single cell within the human body, there's a little thing series of things called chromosomes. The chromosome is not seen by the naked eye, yet one chromosome contains, get this, 200 billion bits of information equal to 4,000 volumes, 500 pages thick. That's that much information in an unseen part of one cell in your body. When a sperm and an egg unite and life is conceived, it's just amazing to think, within that little, tiny, unseen thing that starts to form and immediately starts to, to um, double and triple and, and starts to, to break and grow, and, and all of a sudden this, this life begins, everything about your physical features is all in the blueprint of those cells already. Who put that there? And what happens is, this just unfolds. If you can see the development of the human embryo, it's, it's amazing how the heart begins to fold and, and the brain and all the organs begin as if everything was compact in this little thing that was conceived. It's amazing. Now, most of this information that i just shared with you actually comes from a book by the man named Carl Sagan. And interestingly, Carl Sagan was an unbeliever. Now, I would never compliment him on his spiritual wisdom, but I do think he makes some logical arguments. When it comes to abortion, he says, if you want to argue that life begins at conception, then you've got to deal with this reality, that to take the life of even a child conceived in cases of rape and incest would mean to kill a human life because that child's father was a criminal. Think about that. The value of a human life. David noted that God is the ultimate designer of the human body, and I don't think anybody could could hear a symphony, you know, a Mozart symphony, and say, you know what, those sounds just randomly happen to come together, and and they just sound so beautiful. You know that some intelligence put that all together. You stumble across a Rolex watch out on a hiking trail, and you pick it up, you don't don't for a second think that these pieces of metal and glass and all that just happen to just fit together here in nature, but... your mind naturally says, somebody designed this thing. All these things work so beautifully together. When you look at the human body and how all these systems work so beautifully together, how can anyone conclude it's an accident? No, you were designed by a creator God, and you are priceless. In Psalm 8, as as David writes here, he says in verses 3 through 6, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with honor and glory. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the, of the wild, birds and everything else. What is man that you are mindful of him? God, God says, I made you. I made you significant. I made you priceless. Children hear that at Christmas time. They make snowflakes at school and are told that every snowflake is unique. There's no, no two snowflakes alike. I don't know who's ever tested all the snowflakes to find that's for sure. But if that's true of snowflakes, it's definitely true of people. Even twins that, that look alike have differences about them. There's nobody quite like you. I, I saw a commercial recently of a Barbara Walters special coming up tonight of uh, these uh, interesting individuals of 2014. One of those is Michael Strahan, who's getting to be pretty popular. I think he's more popular on the talk circuit now than he was on the football field. And, and in that commercial, she says, have you ever considered getting, getting that gap in your, in your mouth taken care of, the, between the teeth? He's got a big gap. I mean, you can fit a straw through that thing. And, and uh, so he says, you know what? He, he, he looked at that once. And, and what he looked like, he says, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I, I love that he's content with who he is. He doesn't have to look like everybody else. It's, it's, not, it's not unlikely that you look in the mirror and you see things you think you need to fix. I mean, I, I, over the years, I've looked at receding hair. You know, my eyes are seemingly to be bloodshot all the time. i got really gnarly crooked toes. And, and I think, you know, there's things I would like to fix, but you know, I'm okay with who I am. God, God made me special. God made you special. He loves you. I received a Christmas card yesterday from my um, brother-in-law. Some of you know, um, a few of you know the story that my, I have a sister that was killed in a car accident. Two of her boys were injured in that accident, two of the three boys. And my, my son-in-law remarried another lady and he brought his three boys and merged families with this lady and her three girls. And no, it's not the Brady Bunch, but it's kind of like that. And in this picture, you see all six of these kids together and there is my nephew, Marcus, who's, who's in a wheelchair. He was paralyzed from the accident. But standing in the back row with a big grin on his face, his head kind of tilted, is my nephew, Brett. Now, if you look at Brett, you notice there's something odd about him. His, his skull is misshapen because he's, he, he lost some of his brain in, because of the accident. And they've been trying to fit him with, with the covering for his head, and they still struggle to do that. But there he is, big grin on his face. And one of hers, his sisters is, is kneeling in front of him, and she's reaching up, and she's holding Brett's hand. And she's saying, you're my brother. You're equal to everybody else here. And you know, my, my nephew Brett will never have a conversation, a meaningful conversation like you and I have, a deep one, because he can't communicate very well. And here he is, uh, should be graduating from high school real soon. And he's different, but you know, he's no less of a person than any other member of that family. That's why I'm so glad that in, on February 13th, we as a church are hosting A Night to Shine. Night to Shine is a special event that's um, co-sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation. It's for special needs kids. A lot of them will have Down syndrome. A lot of them will have physical disabilities that will come to this church. And actually, they'll meet right in this room. And we'll have a chance to communicate to them that they are priceless. And I'd love to invite you to come and help with that event to communicate that to those kids. There's information in your bulletin of who to contact that. But that's what we're trying to tell people. You are precious. Johnny Diaz Christian artist sings a song called More Beautiful You. It's about a 14 year old girl who's flipping through a magazine. She's seen all these pretty pictures of, of women and feels like, I'm never going to look like those girls. And in the song, he sings this chorus There could never be a more beautiful you. Don't buy the lies, disguises, and hoops they make you jump through. You were made to fill a purpose that only you could do. So there could never be a more beautiful you. You were designed by a maker. Handcrafted to be who you are. You're priceless. This psalm also tells us that God is all-knowing, and because he is all-knowing, I am desirable. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139 says, "'You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. "'You know when I sit and when I rise, "'you perceive my thoughts from afar. "'You discern my going out and my lying down. "'You are familiar with all my ways.'" Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in and behind. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows every move you make. He knows every thought you think. He knows every word because it, before it comes across your lips. Many of us are blessed to have a friend or a spouse who knows us pretty well, knows a lot of things about us. But there are certain things that we don't reveal even to the closest of friends. There are things that your husband or wife will probably never know. There's sometimes some things you're a good friend. And do do you know why? Because there's some things we're so ashamed of. There's some things we feel would be offensive. There's some things we're embarrassed about that we really don't want people knowing. I um, encountered an individual this week that's, really having a tough time finding a job. And the issue seems to be self-awareness. He sees himself in ways that don't align with the reality of how others see him. He sees himself as a certain person who can do certain things, but everyone else says, that's not who you are. It's not that you're a bad person. That's just, you're, you're not seeing yourself clearly. Our hearts can be very deceptive. Sometimes we don't even know who we are ourselves. We don't know why we do what we do, why we say what we say, but God does. He understands us completely. But here's the beautiful part. God says, I know everything. I know what you're thinking. I know what you did. And I still want a relationship with you. I'm still mad about you. I'm still crazy in love with you. In the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve are in this garden, and they're naked and unashamed. And then they disobeyed God's command. Sin entered the picture, and so they cover themselves. They try to hide They physically try to hide from God, but themselves, they feel embarrassed, and so they create these fig leaf coverings over their private parts. And God comes along and says, you don't need to hide. And God says, I'm gonna cover your nakedness. What God does is he kills an animal, takes the hide of the animal, gives them clothing probably reminiscent of the Duluth Duluth Trading Company, very durable. You know, it's not gonna dry up like a little fig leaf will. It's gonna last for a long time. But Adam and Eve see pretty vividly my sin costs an animal its life. And it's a lesson that will forever be embedded in their minds. The consequence of sin is a shedding of blood. But the point is, God understood their need, and God loved them. And next week, we'll actually talk about this priceless gift of Jesus' sacrifice for us. While we all want to be known and loved, there's a fear of being found out and rejected. I mean, have you ever thought... If, if he really knew this about me or if they really knew this thing that I did, they wouldn't like me. If they really knew what I was thinking right now, they, would, they wouldn't hang around me. Do you ever think that way? That there's parts of you that you'd like to cover up? you know that what you've never confessed, God already knows? What the law has no record of, God does. What no one else has ever seen, What you did behind your parents' back, your spouse's back, your boss's back. What you did late at night, God saw it. Those thoughts you think but never speak, because you know they'll get you in trouble, God knows what they are. The pain you're dealing with, the loneliness, the hurt, the anger, the thoughts of running, the thoughts of divorce, the thoughts of suicide. There is someone who understands. God knows it all and loves you. And you know that thought that someone knows everything about me, every move that I make, you know, big brother watching me all the time, it'll either paralyze you or it'll liberate you. And I hope it does the latter. I hope it lets you know that, you know what, finally someone sees the real me. It's like when Jesus went to that woman at the well and he said to this woman, I know your history. You've been married multiple times and divorced. And the man you're now living with, you're not even married to him. I know all that. She says, you do? And you're still talking to me? You know, it's liberating. In fact, she she began to believe in Jesus and was so excited that this one who knew her so well still loved her. I learned of a pastor this past summer. His name is Paul. Works here in Colorado. He turned 63 this summer. He's written for a conservative Christian magazine, Christian Standard. He's preached regularly in large churches. He's married raised kids, he's a grandfather. Everyone was shocked this summer when he said his whole life he struggled with feelings that he should have been a woman instead of a man. And so he's finally decided to stop hiding. He's taking hormones. He's changed his name from Paul to Paula. He says the 6,000-member church where he had served until this summer, says they don't know what to do. He said, that's the reason why he kept this hidden for so long. And he writes on his blog on the internet these words. He says, I've received some messages that were well-meaning, but not exactly encouraging. One minister of a large church wrote, I have to be honest, I would have preferred that you kept this private to your grave. Another said, it's a shame you can't have a memorial service for Paul, then just disappear. There were a number of responses along those lines. These were all good people, overwhelmed, afraid maybe, concerned for me in their own way. I find it ironic that I received a decidedly different response from my friends who are not affiliated with the church. Every single one of those people has chosen to accept the new me. Every single one. I will let you draw your own conclusion. He got a question from someone that says, how do you believe God sees you now? He says, I believe God sees me as God sees you, as a precious being made in God's image. If you're asking what God thinks about me being transgendered, well, you're asking the wrong person You'll have to ask God. Now, I'm not here to even get on a political issue of this whole issue of transgender, but I do want to tell you this. This man who agonized for 50-plus years knows there's one person that understands what he's gone through, and that's God. God knows what you're dealing with. It doesn't mean he accepts how you're dealing with it. It doesn't mean God accepts your conduct as a result of it. But God understands. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He says, says that the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them. He knows them intimately. In Isaiah chapter 43, the very first verse of that chapter, God is speaking to the nation of Israel and says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name you are mine. I summon you by name. God knows our name. He knows who you are, what you're dealing with, yet loves you anyway. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. This is amazing that God loves me, even though he knows everything about me. And so David at the very End of the psalm invites God to do it more. He says, Search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you know everything. Why am I trying to hide it? Continue to look at me, continue to reveal. I want to be pleasing to you, I want to live a holy life. When the knowledge of the one who loves you most draws you to you, you realize God is all knowing, and yet He desires me. I'm desirable. And the third truth about our identity is because God is ever-present, I am pursued. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness will be as light to you. God is everywhere we go. You cannot run or hide from God. Not that you would want to necessarily, but David says, even if I tried, I could try to go to the highest heavens and I'd run into you there. I could go down to Sheol, the place of the dead and you'd be whispered on my shoulder. I could go to the farthest horizon, east or to the west, and I couldn't outrun you. I could try to hide in the darkness. But you see right through the darkness. It's like God has these night vision goggles that I can't even hide. The darkness is like light to God. When the Soviet cosmonauts entered space, they concluded there was no God because they couldn't see one up there. David says, I see God everywhere. And it's not just that God knows where we are. God is where we are. He says he's there. God's there in your highest moments. God's there in your lowest valleys. And what does that tell you about God? No matter what you're going through, no matter how dark your day is, God will never abandon you. God desires relationship with you. He pursues you. You know, I didn't know that growing up. I grew up in a church and I I, I loved the Christmas story. I always believed in God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. Not until I was 16 years of age. And God seemed to be this distant God on a cloud, kind of like a real, a real grandfatherly figure that if I wanted to search for him, if I wanted to re- you know, reach for him, that God was out there. But I didn't realize that all through my life that God was closer than I ever imagined. That God was, God was beside me. God was, was near me. You don't have to convince a disinterested God to pay attention to you. God is deeply interested. He's more interested in, in you than you've ever been in God. When Paul went to this um, city of Athens, he walked around, he sees all these um, statues to these gods, the gods that they felt they knew. So you've got, you know, all these Greek gods and the and Greek God here and there, and there was one God who was kind of the catch-all. He's, it was called the, the unknown God. If there's a God we missed out there. There he is, right there, the unknown God. So Paul takes the liberty to say, you know that unknown God, the one you don't know about? I'm here today to tell you about him. This is the God that made heaven and earth. And this is the God who put people all over this planet. And this is the God that, that, that loves you, that's been pursuing you. And in this book of, of Acts chapter 17, verse 27, Paul says this to them. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. That's why God did this. God did all these things so we'd realize he's never been far. And if you just reach out, it says if you could touch God, he's, he's that close. He so said, if you could just reach out, you could find him. And that that reaching out is what we call faith. So God will never force his way into your life. God won't bust the door down. But God is, God is like that person that's always like right there. And as soon as you say, Welcome, friend, God says, Okay. God says, Reach out, take my hand. I've been there. I've been there when you didn't even think I was there. There's not a place in your life that, that you've escaped to that I wasn't there already with you. He says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Sometimes we tie God to a location. You know, I'm gonna go to church so I can meet with God, and you can meet with God at church, definitely. We've, we've met with God this morning. But when you go back home, you can meet with God at home. You can meet with God by the coffee table in the morning. You can meet with God by the side of your bed at night. You can meet with God when you, when you um, go to the store, when you go to work. Now, this is really important when you say, have kids that are getting sent off to college, that they know God's with you where you go. God didn't stay at Pikes Peak Christian Church. God, God went with you. When a soldier is deployed to Afghanistan or some faraway country, being reminded that god is with you there no they may not have a church building they may not have a have a christian radio on their on their airband like we do here but god is with you you'll never go to a place where he will depart from you some of you need to be reminded where god is because sometimes in our lives we we make bad choices we start to drift and we feel that somehow God has abandoned us because of choices we've made, but God's never abandoned us. It's we've abandoned God. We've distanced ourselves from Him. We're like Jonah. Jonah is a story in the Bible of a man who was sent by God on a mission, and he didn't want to fulfill that. So Jonah tried to run from God. And he got on this boat, and all of a sudden, disaster came uh, to the ship, and, and, and everyone says, There's a problem here. And Job said, or Jonah said, I'm the problem. Throw me overboard. So they threw him into the water, and that's the whole story of Jonah getting swallowed by the big fish and and God speaking to him in the belly of that big fish. But the truth is that Jonah could never run from God. No matter how far, no matter where he went, God was there with him. That's the story that Jesus told of the the prodigal son, the prodigal son who runs away from home, his father sitting on the porch looking for him. finally the day comes where the son says, I'm going to go back home. And as soon as he comes over the hill, his dad sees him. Not just sees him, his dad responds. And in this story, in Luke chapter 15, listen to verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, that's the boy, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's a God that pursues. That's a God who desires us. No matter how far we've drifted, God loves us. God's love is shown in his faithfulness to be with you always because he is ever-present you are pursued. Your identity is not based on what you think. Your identity is not based on what other people say. Your identity is based on who God is and who God is toward you. Because God is your creator, you're not an accident. You are wonderfully designed. Because God is all-knowing, your life isn't a mess that's too, too difficult for God to love you? No, God, God desires you in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that he knows all the mess in your life. And because God is ever-present, he's a, a father who, who pursues us, you're never distant from him. God will always come after you to look for you, to, to chase you. It's important that you know that, that you will behave in ways consistent with who you think you are. Now, this is so important, especially for our kids, because when you get this identity grounded in you and who you are, you start to make choices when temptations come, when decisions come your way of how you're gonna respond to those things. When when you start asking, well, what's everyone else doing? What will they say? if, If I say no, will they still like me? When your identity is grounded, and you're a young person, and those temptations come, You don't even have to rely on the excuse, well, my parents won't let me. Here's all you say. I'm not that kind of girl. I'm not that kind of guy. That's not, get this, that's not who I am. I'm not gonna dress that way. I don't need to. That's not who I am. I don't need to go and get blasted at the party. Why? That's not who I am. Because you know who I am? I'm designed by a beautiful creator. I'm known, yet loved. And he's here with me, pursuing a deepening relationship with me. The truth is, in God's eyes, you're priceless. And we want to just cement that in our hearts today, that I am because of who he is, who he is toward you, who he is toward ourselves. And I don't know, you may be new to Pikes Christian Church, I may not know you very well. I might not even know your name. There are a lot of people in this church. I don't know them by name, but God does. God knows your name. So I want you to stand and sing this song and let this song be a truth in your heart that God knows you and believes in you and calls you into relationship with himself. You are priceless. God hears those silent prayers. God sees the tears. And maybe you cry in your silence. Maybe you're one that you go to bed at night. Sometimes there's a tear on your pillow. God God knows that. God understands it. And God loves you. And so I'm going to close in prayer. But I would invite you to come forward at the end. If you would just like to pray with someone, if our prayer partners, leaders, leaders would be available up front here. We'll be here to pray with you, especially during this holiday season. Some of you may be dealing with some some things that while everyone else is thrilled at Christmas, this is a tough time for you. And we wanna be here to pray for you. You matter to God, you matter to us. So come up after I pray here. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that the the fact is you love us, you know us you pursue a relationship with us. I thank you, Father, that you walk with us through those valleys. I thank you that you don't leave us where we are, but that you lift us up and you help us through the struggles. You help us overcome the sins, the the bad thoughts in our lives, the lies the enemy has fed us. And so, Father, as we leave this place, I pray that we would know that we have the stamp of the image of God on our hearts, and we are priceless to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer, we'll be up here for you. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.